0: And grab one of those uh, blue Bibles off the back table. We got plenty of them back there if you need one. We're going to be in what book? Daniel. Daniel. That's exactly right. So before we get started, I want to ask you guys a question. Um, what would you be willing to do if it were not guaranteed to be a sure thing? Like, what would you be willing to do if you weren't guaranteed success? What would you be willing to try? Any takers? Anybody want to throw out an answer? Brenton? What's that? I can't hear you. Working? Working? Okay, so you'd be willing to work even if you weren't guaranteed success? Okay. Anybody else? Yes, Eli. What's that? Whatever the Lord asks you, okay? So, how many of you, let's just make it real and practical for a second. How many of you, if you were not guaranteed a position on a team, like whether it be football, baseball, whatever, whether it be band, whatever it is, position in the in the drama production, if you weren't guaranteed a spot, how many of you would say, I'm not gonna go out for it? Anybody? Okay, there's a couple of you. That's fair. All right. Guys, would you be willing to ask a girl out if you weren't guaranteed that she'd say yes? Yeah, rise like, Yep, not a problem. I got you right here. Okay, how about this? How many of you would be willing to jump out of an airplane if you weren't guaranteed that that parachute's going to work? Y'all are stupid. <laughs> you don't jump out of an airplane unless you know that parachute's going to work. <laughs> here's, here's the problem. Hey, here's the problem with all of those statements. You're never guaranteed any of those things. It doesn't matter what you do in life. There is no such thing as a sure thing. There is a possibility or very likely that something will happen the way that you want it to, but it's never a guarantee. And the question I ask you is, would you be willing to do those things even if you weren't guaranteed success? Because a lot of times we're we're not, but you take those chances every day. You get in your car and you turn the key or your parents do and you just assume it's going to start, but there's no guarantee, right? We had that experience just last week in our house when I wasn't even there. Vehicle, what's that? Never assume. That's a bad thing to do because you don't know if it's going to start or not. You take chances every single moment of every single day. You have no guarantee that when you brush your teeth in the morning, it's actually going to make your breath smell better. You're not guaranteed. I hope it will, so keep trying just to make sure, okay? But we're not guaranteed that. Tonight, as we jump back into the book of Daniel, we see a situation where these guys, they're not guaranteed an outcome of what's gonna happen. And what they have to decide is, are they gonna follow God even if what they hope happens doesn't happen? And that's the same question that we have to answer every single day. Are you willing to follow God even if? Even if things don't work out the way you want them to work out. Even if God doesn't come through the way you hope he's going to come through, are you willing to follow him even if? That's what we're going to look at tonight because that's a big question, and we've got a very unique example of how we see that play out tonight. But before we get into that, we're in this book. Who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. When do we believe it was written? Around the 6th century BC. Who came in and conquered the Israelites? But what? Babylonians, what was the name of their king? Who can spell it without looking? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, every one of you butchered it. Nice try. You should go home and look that up, okay? All right. How old do we think Daniel and his buddies were when this was taken over? Around 15, 16 years old. So now, now, we're about three, four years later. How old are they? 18, 19 years old, maybe 20, somewhere in that range. And last question, and you know this one. What's the main theme we keep seeing over and over in this book? God's sovereignty. Do y'all remember what it means when we say God is sovereign? He's in control. No matter what. When things are going great, He's in control. When things are going horrible, God is in control. And we see that over and over again in this book. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to read the first 18 verses of Daniel chapter 3. But I'm not going to read it. Mr. Max is going to come up here and read it. So come on up here, Mr. Max. Y'all give it up for Mr. Max. Mr. Paul, he is on microphone number two. Can you hold that and talk at the same time or do I need to hold it for you?
1: Uh, I can probably hold it. You got this? okay um. oh wait wait hold on
0: hold on y'all stand we stand in honor of reading god's word that's my fault i should have made him stand up not you
1: okay all right
0: y'all follow along as as max reads chapter 3 verses 1 through 18. all right king nebuchadnezzar
1: made an image of god of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and set it on the plain of durban in province of babylon he then summoned the the satraps, perfects, governs, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials in com- to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So satraps, perfects, governs, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, or magistrates, and all other provincial, provincial officials assembled for a dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship, to the, worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations had and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of God that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. At at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews they said, that, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of a horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, of, and all kinds of music must fall down to, and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who must set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to them King Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter if we're thrown into the blazing furnace the God will the God will s- will serve and is able to deliver us from it and then he will deliver us from your majesty's hand but even if he does not we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up
0: all right let's pray god we thank you for today lord we thank you again that we can be here we thank you for your word and God I pray that we'll be will be changed, will be different because we've been in your presence tonight and we've been in your word together as a group. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Max. Y'all can have a seat. Y'all give it up for Max. Man, that's, that's pretty good. You had some hard words and some hard names in there. You did a good job there. So last week we saw at the end of Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel was able to tell the king this dream that he had. Remember, that was the king's demand. You tell me the dream or you all die. So Daniel prayed to God. God revealed the dream to him, and Daniel was able to tell the king not only what his dream was, but what his dream meant. And, and step back here to verse one. Look at what the king does almost immediately. Let me read this again. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. Which means that thing was approximately 90 feet tall, somewhere around 10 stories tall, by about 9 feet wide. It was huge. So he makes this big golden image, and then it says, Set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, do y'all remember what King Nebuchadnezzar dreamt when we read about it in chapter 2? What, what was his dream? What was it? You're, you're on the right track. Yeah, it was, it was gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then iron and clay. So it was this big statue that he dreamed, and each part of this statue was made up of a different material. And when David, or Daniel interpreted this dream, Daniel said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, what part of it represented Nebuchadnezzar? The gold, the head. And then the rest of the dream was these are the other kingdoms that are going to come up after you. And, and look at what Nebuchadnezzar has done here. He's gone from having this dream where he's got this head that's made of gold, this large statue that represents the Babylonian Empire. He turns right around and he actually makes a big statue. But does he make it look like the dream? No, what does he do instead? What's he make it out of? Gold. He makes the entire statue out of gold. Now, there's some scholars that that believe that could have been Nebuchadnezzar's pride. He made it all out of gold because he didn't want that dream to come true because that dream meant his kingdom wasn't gonna last forever. That dream meant that other kingdoms were gonna come after him, and at some point in time, the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ was gonna come in and take over everything. Some scholars believe that Nebuchadnezzar didn't want that to happen. So what he did is he instead made this entire statue of gold so it wasn't just the head, it was the whole thing. But whatever the reason he did it, what he did intend to do here was make this statue the focal point in the kingdom. That thing, like I said before, 90 feet tall, approximately 10 stories. That thing is huge. You couldn't miss it. And then he takes it, he doesn't put it in the city center, he takes it and puts it out on this plain outside of the city, and then he calls all of the leaders in the empire of Babylon to come to the dedication. So it's not just like, hey, we got the Kingsland and St. Mary local officials, it's every leader in the state of Georgia. That's kind of what's going on here. Granted, the Babylonian kingdom was way bigger than that, but that's, that's the idea. All the people that fell under that one kingdom came together to worship it. That was a big deal. And one of the reasons it's a big deal is because Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten the words that he just said in Daniel chapter two. At the end of the chapter, when Daniel revealed the dream to him and told him what it meant, listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 47 of chapter 2. It says, "The king answered and said to Daniel, 'Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery.'" We look at that and we think, "Nebuchadnezzar, what are you doing?" Don't don't you just remember Just a little time before, you said that Daniel's God was the God. He was the only thing to worship. He was the one that you needed to pay attention to. And now, not long after, he's setting up this giant statue and everybody is having to come and worship this giant statue. And we look at that and think, how can you forget that? You just had this amazing experience with God and now you turn around and you're acting like that. that didn't ever even happen. How quickly do we do that? How many times have you been to a weekly service on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or maybe you've been to a D-Now or a camp or some other experience? Put your hand down. That's a rhetorical question. How many times? What that means is I'm not really looking for an answer. I want you to think about it. That's what rhetorical means. How many times have you been to one of those things and God spoke to you? And you knew God was talking to you. You knew there were things that God wanted you to do in your life to be obedient and honor him. And you knew that when you walked out of that building, walked out of those doors, you were going to do exactly what God wanted you to do. And then maybe the same day, maybe a week later, you forgot all about it. Put your hand down. We've all had those experiences. Every single one of us. So when we look at this and we think, Nebuchadnezzar, how could you do that? We've got to remember, we're all guilty of that. Sometimes it's that easy to forget about how to be obedient to God. It's that simple. And that's why we've got to always be on guard to be obedient to the word of God. And look what happens here in the next verse 3. It says, Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before that image, excuse me, they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. What you've got right here is forced idol worship, it's not a choice. They've been told, you either bow down when you hear the music or you die. And it's not even like, hey, we're just going to pull out a firing squad. We're going to throw you literally in a fire and it is going to burn you alive. So do you think they felt a whole lot of freedom to not do what the king was telling them to do? Probably not. No, they kind of felt some pressure here. There's an expectation that everybody's just going to kind of go along with what's happening. Now, you you and I, all of us, we live in a place where we have the freedom to choose who or what we worship, but that choice was taken away right here from all of the people in the Babylonian Empire, and here's this crazy thing. There's places in our world today where that's still a reality. We don't know what that's like. We have the opportunity to, to get up and to go to church when we want to or to gather and to study God's word and to sing and to do all of these different things and serve other people when we want to. There's countries in our world right now where they don't have that choice. I did a little research. There's a, uh, an organization called Open Doors and on their website, and I, I encourage you to look this up, they've got a list of the top 10 countries in the world where it's dangerous to say that you're a Christian. And the top two are Afghanistan and North Korea. They say those are the two most dangerous countries in the world to say that you're a Christian. But listen to how they've got this set up. I'm going to read to you what was on their website. It says, the constitution of North Korea establishes freedom of religion. So according to their constitution, they can choose to worship anything they want to. However, It adds that religion must not be used as a pretext for drawing in foreign forces or for harming the state or social order. This vague stipulation is used by the government to implement one of the most religiously oppressive regimes in the world. So they say, hey, you can choose any religion you want. However, if whatever religion you choose encourages other people to come in here and influence our people, or whatever religion you choose goes against what we tell you as a country you're allowed to do, you're not allowed to do that. And because of that, Christianity is wiped out there. Well, let me rephrase. They're trying to wipe it out. It's not gone anywhere. Every time somebody tries to wipe out Christianity and Christ's followers, it just grows. But Afghanistan is just as dangerous. Here's what they said about Afghanistan. It says, Afghanistan's constitution names Islam as the state religion. But promises practitioners of other religions that they are free to worship within the limits of the law. So they say, hey, Islam is what we're going with. But if you want to worship something else, you can as long as you don't break the law. However, acts made illegal by those limits of the law include sharing one's Christian faith, Speaking negatively of Islam or publishing materials that contradict Islamic principles. Converting from Islam to another religion is also illegal and is punishable by imprisonment, confiscation of property, or even the death sentence. Forced worship of idols. It didn't just happen in the Bible. It's happening right now in different locations all over the world. Where these people are just expected, you get on board or you die. That's exactly what's happening here in Babylon. You and I, right now, we have the freedom to choose to follow Jesus Christ. And I pray that that is a freedom that we always have. But you need to understand, there's going to be times when you choose to pursue Jesus that you're going to face situations that may not cost you your life, but situations where you're still expected to go along with the crowd. You're still expected to do what everybody else is doing. Even if it's going to cause you to compromise what you say you believe. The challenge is, what will you do in those situations? That's where the even if question comes in. Will you follow Jesus? Will you pursue your relationship with Jesus Christ? Even if going against the crowd, going against the culture, costs you something, if not everything. And, and, and let's just talk about this for a second. Sometimes we try to rationalize that, yeah, we can go along and there's good reasons to go along. There's a couple different arguments you can use. One of them you can call the uh, the situational ethics argument. Does anybody know what situational ethics is? Situational ethics is basically, hey, what you deem is right in this situation may change if the situation changes. So some people will make the situational ethics argument saying that um, if I can can bow down right now like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it would be all right for them to give in and to worship this idol because it would mean that they would stay alive, which means they have the opportunity at a later date to tell somebody about their God. So it's a situational ethics. I'm going to give in because I can argue it's going to benefit me later. It's going to benefit God later. Or, instead of the situational ethics argument, maybe you make the cultural argument. These guys should bow down right now because if they don't, they're going to offend all of the people around them. And if they offend all of the people around them right now, that means those same people, they're not going to want to talk about God later. So we don't want to offend them now so that they'll listen to us later. You ever made that argument before? Or how about this one? I got one more for you. You can make the argument of forgiveness. God is a loving God. If if I make this choice right now, he's gonna forgive me, so it's it's okay. Scripture says if I put my faith and trust in him, he's already forgiven me, so it's, it's okay. There's only one problem with every one of these arguments. Every single one of these arguments causes us to be disobedient to the word of God. You see, whether you rationalize it in your head, whether you rationalize it in your heart, to say it's okay this time because it's not okay. Because God's word says it's not okay. Exodus 20 verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Pursuing Jesus in your life means living your life in submission and obedience to the word of God in every situation, no matter what the outcome is. No matter what it's gonna cost you, even if the outcome may not be the one that you hope for. That's what happens with these guys. Look at verse 8. Daniel chapter 3. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. So they didn't just come forward and say, hey, they're not obeying you. They were going after them. They were targeting them. And they had something in mind here. Verse 9. They declared King Nebuchadnezzar, O oh, king, live forever. So they're, they're kind of buttering up a, up a little bit. Hey, king, oh, hey, king, you live forever. We're here for you. We're all about you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now back up for a second and remember that when Daniel and his buddies stood before the king after their time of training to make them Babylonians, scripture tells us that they were seen by the king as 10 times better than everybody else. So what the king did is he took those guys and he set them above all of the, the, the wise men and the Chaldeans and the astrologers and all of these people. So basically, these guys that are coming to accuse these three men are the ones who were put underneath these three men. So there might have been some jealousy at play here. We don't know that, but we know that is the situation that they find themselves in. And the interesting thing is here, in this entire chapter, Daniel's nowhere to be found. You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You don't see Daniel. We don't know why. But for some reason, he's not here, or at least these guys don't accuse him. But look at what they do. They use the you said approach. King, you're the one that made this image. You're the one that made this decree. And when they're disobeying you, they're ignoring what you said and the law that you put into place. You, you guys know what this looks like because you've done this with your parents or your teachers especially when you've got a sibling who you really want to see get in trouble because they did something wrong and your parents have already warned them, you'll go remind your parents, you remember, you said, if they did that one more time, this is what was going to happen to them. Y'all have done that before. I know you have if you've got siblings. Yeah, I see some shaking heads and whispering right now. You've done it. That's what they're doing. They're basically coming and telling on these guys. They're saying, King, you said, you said if they didn't obey you, you were going to kill them. You were going to set them on fire. It's time to do it because they're not obeying you. They're basically calling him out. So this now puts the king in a situation. Because what he has done, his laws have been put right in his face. And if he doesn't act, if he doesn't do something, then guess what? Nobody trusts the king. Nobody believes him. Nobody thinks he's going to do what he says he's going to do. So now everybody has the freedom to disobey him. So the king's in a tough situation here. Not that he decides he doesn't want to do anything wrong because he actually jumps right in here and starts going after them in the next couple verses. But before we start reading those, I want you to see something here. These guys were singled out. They were singled out because they made a decision not to bow down and worship this idol, this statue. The reputation of these young men was so much so that they were following God and worshiping God and these people that accused them, they already knew that about them. They caught the attention of these guys that came to the king because they were living in such a way that people knew who they worshiped and what they believed. People knew it. They knew by the way they talked. They knew by the way they interacted with other people. They knew by their behavior and the things that they did and now it's causing a problem for them. And you need to understand that if you decide to live a life that is obedient to the Word of God in every single area, there's going to be times where you are singled out. There's going to be times when it draws the attention of other people who don't live a life that honors God, who don't want to see you doing the things that honor God, and they're going to cause problems for you. And you have to decide, am I willing to pursue Christ even if that happens? Look at what these guys decide. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Man, that king's mad, isn't he? Says right there, in a furious rage, he commanded them to come. You ever seen your parents like that before? Or you know you did something wrong. And you know you're in trouble when your first, middle, and last name get yelled across the house of the yard. And you better get there real quick. That man, that used to be my dad. My dad could walk out. My dad wouldn't say our names. But my dad would walk out. If my brother and I were in trouble and we were in the yard, he had this whistle. And I mean, it is just this shrill, ear-piercing sound. And he would just walk out into the driveway and do that whistle. And we knew if we weren't in front of him within like 10 seconds, trouble was only going to get worse. That's what's going on here. These guys, they've been called before the king who is mad. And look, look at what happens here. Nebuchadnezzar, he's seeing himself as the ultimate power. Look at what he says there in the last verse. He says, who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar sees himself more powerful than even the gods he claims to worship. He's telling them, your God's not going to rescue you, and my gods aren't going to rescue you either, because I'm more powerful than they are. Nebuchadnezzar's in a dangerous spot right here, because he is basically seeing himself as the most important, powerful being in existence, it's ironic that you would then turn around and worship something that you believe you're more powerful than. But the best part is how these guys respond. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I think this is awesome because this is literally the only recorded words we have from these three guys in all of scripture. And they basically look at the king and say, we don't owe you anything. We don't owe you an explanation. We don't don't owe you anything to tell you why we're not going to do this. They say, King, if you do this, if you put us in this fiery furnace, if you try to kill us, God's going to deliver us. There's a confidence there that they trust in God to take care of them. But look at that very last verse. They say, but if not, Nebuchadnezzar, if you throw us in this fire, if you try to kill us, God's going to deliver us out of it. But if not, we're still not going to do what you're telling us to do. They're looking at him and they're saying, even if, Even if God doesn't do what we hope, we're not going to do what you ask. You need to understand what's happening right here. These young men right here, they didn't make this choice in this moment. They made this choice long before they ever stood before the king. We saw that in Daniel chapter 1 when they said, we're not going to eat the king's food because it's not what we're supposed to do. They started making little choices years before To honor God in every area of their life so that those little things, when they made those decisions, it would build and build and now they're standing in front of the king who is threatening to take their very life and they're saying, King, we are not worried about you because we know who we serve and we know that even if he doesn't save us from this fire, he is still God. They made a choice not to compromise in the small things so when it came to the big thing, It wasn't even a question. They were going to be obedient to God. We see that same choice and that same resolve in food as we do worshiping an idol. You need to understand, you don't make those hard choices to live in obedience to God every moment of your life in the moment. You make those hard decisions when you decide to live in obedience. To live a life that is uncompromising to the word of God. God. That when you're hanging out with your friends and they're talking in ways that you don't know honors God, you make the choice, I'm not going to do that. That when you've got friends that are doing things that you know don't honor God, I'm not going to do that. When you're in a dating relationship and you know it doesn't honor God, I'm not going to do that. All of those little things lead up to those big moments because if you can't be consistent in pursuing God in those little moments, there's no way you're going to do it in the big moments. That's what living a life of obedience looks like. That's what these guys are living out right here. They will follow God even if, even if it costs them their reputation, even if it costs them their position and their influence, even if it costs them their lives, they're gonna be faithful to God. What about you tonight? Will you pursue Jesus even if I want you to think about this sentence. I don't want you to answer it out loud, but think about this sentence. Have you ever had this thought in your head, I will follow Christ unless, and then you can finish that sentence for you. Maybe you found yourself in a situation where you have done just that. Christ, I will follow you, but not here. I will give you everything. I will live in obedience unless this situation comes up or this opportunity happens in my life. Or I have the ability to do this. You see, that's not the life that God calls us to do, to live. When it gets uncomfortable, when the situations get weird, when our reputation is at risk, or other things where other people think we're weird because we follow Jesus Christ, and we start to shrink back from honoring God and those choices that we make. But we have to replace this "I will follow Christ unless" idea with the "I will follow Christ even." if no matter what happens that's the resolve that we see with these three men it was rooted not in what God would do for them because they said God will save us but even if God doesn't save us we're still going to honor him their faith their confidence wasn't rooted in what God was going to do for them it was rooted in who God was Because they were determined to honor him because he is God because he is the only one in all of creation in all of the universe in everything that is worthy of that kind of dedication. Pursuing Jesus in your life means living in complete obedience to the word of God with your whole life giving him everything your pride, your career, your relationships, your reputation everything living in obedience to him. Jesus talked about this it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your reputation. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you a career or a promotion. It may cost you everything. But you've got to decide, are you willing to follow Jesus and pursue him with your life even if those things actually have to be given up? That's what these guys did and that's what we're called to do. Will you pursue Jesus tonight, even if? If the answer for you is no, if your statement is, I will pursue Jesus unless, maybe it's time to change that tonight. Because I'm going to tell you right now whatever you finish that unless sentence with is trash. It's garbage. That's what Scripture says everything else that we pursue to try to fill the hole that we have, that longing that we have for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's why he died on a cross, because of our sin, because of all of the things we pursue to make ourselves happy to try to get to God. God says it's all good, it's all garbage, it's junk. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for every single one of us to pay the price for our sins so we don't have to chase that junk anymore. That car will never fulfill you. That money, that job, that relationship, that future, that dream that you have will never fulfill your life. The only thing that ever will is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight and you don't have that relationship, you can change that tonight. You can stop pursuing all of those other things and you can tell Jesus, I'm going to follow you even if, even if it costs me everything because he tells us right there, it will cost us everything. If you're here tonight and that even if is not the way you're living your life in full obedience, you need to do something about it tonight. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and start pursuing him with everything that you have and you have an entire group of people to help you do it. Don't walk out of here tonight without answering that question. Will I follow Jesus even if? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for what you've called us to be. God, people to live in relationship with you. People to know that we're forgiven of our sin through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, you know, (laughs) Jesus knows. He lived in the flesh just like us, God. Scripture tells us he was tempted in every way that we're tempted. And yet he honored you. God, I pray that you'll help us to pursue you. Help each one of us in this room, God, to be willing to pursue that relationship even if it costs us. And God, I know that even if sentence is finished differently for every single person in this room. But God, I pray right now, if there is anybody in here that doesn't know you, God, God, I pray right now that you will show them how much you love them. Help them feel it. Give them the courage, Lord, when the music starts, to step out and talk to one of these adults in this room. Give them the courage to be weak, to give their life to you, and then give them the strength to pursue you with it every single day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.